Hello and welcome to Robin and Stephanie's Crimeaholics podcast. Hey. So today we wanted to do a part two to last week. Uh, so last week, what was the name of that one called? The Good Nurse. Yes. So this week it's Capturing the Killer Nurse. It's still Charles Cullen, but it was just another... Uh, movie that Netflix released that we wanted to watch. Yeah, it was more of like, um, The Good Nurse was more of like a movie with actors. This was more of like the documentary with the actual real people involved. Yeah, and I thought this one was better um, because it had the real people in it, because... Mm-hmm. They actually had Charles Cullen narrating some of it. Um, and I think it just dug deeper than yeah. uh, the good nurse did. Yeah, it definitely, there was, um, if you had any, if you watched the good nurse and you had any questions, I feel like if you watch this, some of the answers may be answered. It definitely, definitely went into a little bit more detail um, that the, like there were some facts in this documentary that they didn't even touch on in the movie. Um, yeah. And so I, I, think thought, it, I thought it was a lot better. Yeah. It answered some of my questions too. Like I was puzzled at the fact of how he can go from job to job and none of his history followed him. Mm-hmm. But what I learned is that back then, So it was the early 2000s. You weren't really allowed, per se, to give a bad review in the fear of being sued. Right. So they would just comment, you know, yes, he worked here uh, and he did a good job or he was He left on good standings or something like that. Yeah. So that was it. I mean, you weren't allowed to dig deeper than that then. So that did answer that question for me because I was like totally thrown off. And because of uh, the rules and laws then, um, they weren't pressing charges or nothing. So there was no way to pull any of that information on a background check or anything because hospitals were trying to, I don't Save know. Themselves. Yes, and patrol their own laws. Mm-hmm. You know, they had their own attorneys and shit like that. So that did answer that question for me. And sure. again, that was the only good part that came out of this uh, Charles Cullen whole case was that they were able to change those laws. So now that will follow you. Right. So basically, um, any, you're, the, you're they're required to report any misconduct that could affect patient safety. And that, um, has to be disclosed to any future employers that call to get references. Yeah, so, cause I even called my, uh, sister Kathy with a K, uh, she's a registered nurse in Pennsylvania uh-huh. and, uh, you know, Charles Cullen was, uh, had murdered people. Right. 
in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. So I even asked her, you know, if she had ever heard of him or about him. And she said no. It really surprised me because you think that uh, RNs would know about it. Right. I mean, he was, he was, I don't I mean, I don't know where she's a nurse at in PA, but I mean, he was more up North Jersey, I feel, and like probably the mo- Northeast part of Pennsylvania kind of thing. Yeah, so, I, mean, I think maybe, the one was St. Luke's. One was St. Luke's. There was one Warren Hospital, which was probably up in Warren County, which is, you know, pretty far up there. Yeah, Somerset North County. Jersey. St. Luke's is in Pennsylvania, right? Um, you know what? I'm not really sure where St. Luke's is. I think St. Luke's is Pennsylvania, and that's uh, could be. You know, one of the places he tormented people. Oh yeah, it was yeah that it well that is in Pennsylvania because it was um with that when he was doing stuff there is when the PA state police got involved. Yeah, but that one lady, right? So, and this one, it said that. You know, it was nine hospitals and one nursing home where, you know, he murdered people. But another thing I thought was like off the wall is uh, at one point where they were interviewing him, uh, he said that he wanted to do this or he was murdering these people because he wanted to end their suffering. Um, but some of them weren't suffering. Exactly. So bullshit on that because right. a lot right. of them had overcome the obstacles that had put them in the hospital and they were on the mend and they were ready to go home when he killed them. So no, that's bullshit. Right. So like the one, the um, what was it, Reverend Gall, I guess, he was on his way to the rehab facility and he was doing fine. He was like great and within five minutes of being getting to the rehab facility he had already i guess you know however he was doing it at the hospital injecting the iv bags it was already in his system by the time he got to the nursing home for the rehab he was dead yeah because he had all he was already in icu and then Mm -hmm. he was downgraded to ccu critical care unit and then he was getting moved to rehab so he was definitely on the mend right so that was just bullshit right and um that's the one where someone at the hospital had called the poison control center that started that whole web. Right. Which was really an interesting part of this docuseries because they didn't mention that at all in the movie. So, um, what was it? I guess one of the, some of one of the administrators at the hospital had called the poison control center and asked about that certain drug, that deduction, whatever, however you say it, I can't say it. Dijoxin, I think. Dijoxin. Yeah. Dijoxin. There you go. If you say every letter in there. <laughs> <laughs> Dijoxin. Um, you know, how could someone's level be rising if they're, if they were only given it like once or something like that? And so basically, like administration had kind of told poison control that like something wrong was going on like they were asking all these questions to the point where he finally was like you need to get 
this is a police matter at this point. Yeah, and he told them to, you know, that it was a police matter, that it was homicide, that it needed to be investigated by the police. And then nothing happened. And For three months. <laughs> the guy hit the poison control center, called them back, and was like, you know, did you report this? You know, what was the, the findings? And they so just, just like, oh, our lawyers are involved. Yeah, and they shooed him right off the phone. Right. So finally, when they found out that that state trooper in Pennsylvania was, you know, looking into it, and then he contacted the Poison Control Center, right? Um, I don't know if he did. There was something with records that they were requesting the same information. I forget for what records. It was a record somewhere that they both were requesting the same from the new detectives and this PA detective. But it wasn't until, like, I think it was, like, day 20 when the, dete- the current detectives had called Poison Control and he was like, oh, it's about time. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, are you, com- are you calling about Somerset Hospital? Like, what took you guys so long? They're like, what are you talking about? So they kind of like divulged a whole bunch of information. I feel like that's kind of what broke the case, kind of. Yeah, and the sticky note. Right. So there was a sticky note on the file that had listed the state trooper's name and number, Mm -hmm. but there was no more information than that. So that's how I guess the two of them were able to link each other in that investigation. And I thought it was great that, which was a great piece of information too, was that the actual poison control had that Mary Lund, who was the risk manager at Somerset Hospital, who I feel like should be charged as well. Um, yeah, for hindering investigation right. and hiding. they had her on. They had her on tape calling and inquiring about this. Yeah, and there was. Uh... The nurse who had told the supervisor at St. Luke's that she thought that Charles was killing patients. And she shushed her and said, no, we already investigated that. Right. Isn't that crazy? But then I remember in the show, not in the second part, Capturing a Killer Nurse, they said something about he was randomly putting those meds in the IV bags. But I don't feel as though it was random. Well, she felt that it was random. She felt that it wasn't random, the nurse at St. Luke's. She felt that he was targeting her favorite ones for whatever reason. Like, I don't know. They didn't really, she just kind of, that's what she said. Like he targeted, I felt like he targeted two of um my patients that I was very, very close with. Yeah, so I don't know if it was him that said it was random or maybe it was Amy, but someone said that he was randomly tainting these IV bags, and I don't think it was random. Maybe he had tainted some and put them in one spot, the other IV bags were in the other spot, but I feel as though he picked who he was going to do it to. I don't know. You think so? I don't think he did. Because why would you pick a 21-year-old kid or a, a woman who just had a baby? Like I, like, I feel like it was random. I feel like he was just injecting bags and 
And for it to be that many, there's no way that he, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel that it was, I feel that it was random. But wasn't he involved in the care of every patient who died? So again, um, that's why well, I don't think it's one random. She did say, the one at St. Luke's, she did say when, so when she started kind of digging into it, she said there was like 60, no, what was it? 60... Uh, 67 deaths at the time that he was there. And so she kind of surmised that the probability that he was on duty was going to be about 17 patients. Well, it wound up being 40 that he was actually on duty for So the he- out of those deaths. Yeah, but it's not, it's not an automatic death. So... Right. Unless he was doing, and I mean, like, I feel like if he was injecting, like, so he was doing two different things. I feel like in the beginning, when they first talked about this docuseries and that one woman, what was her name? Helen, was it Helen Dean? I feel like um, her son was there, whatever. He actually injected her. Yes. So that went quicker. Yeah. Um, because then, like, the son was out in the hallway and heard her say "ouch," and they found a prick mark on her inner thigh, and she pretty much died right away. But when it's in the IV bags, you're figuring it's going through that whole cycle, and it's and it's slowly going it. into your system, and it's diluted. Yeah, that's why it was. I feel like those were random because it's kind of like towards the end of this series. Amy said, "I was picking." We were all. We were the ones, he he was basically, what's the word she used? They were administering his actions because they were, you know, every nurse was picking up IV bags oh, and hanging right. them. You know what I mean? So they were, they were doing his bad deed without even knowing it, basically. But I know we talked about this last week, but if you punctured the side of an IV bag, wouldn't it leak? I feel like if you're squeezing it hard enough, it would. But if they're using like one of those, if he used, I mean, there's different gauges of syringes. Mm -hmm. So if he's using like the tiniest gauge syringe to inject it, it probably wouldn't leak unless you actually squeeze the bag. Mm. Because that's what she ended up doing in the first movie. In the first movie, but it didn't, but in this documentary, it didn't even say that. Yeah. Like, didn't even go into that. And the first one only really got into Amy as a co-worker nurse. And that's Donna, yeah. Yeah, the second one really, you know, highlighted a bit on Donna. Right. And, you know, but who was, was it Donna that said that somebody, I forget who, said that he was the best teammate, he was an excellent nurse, he was funny. It was, yeah, they were like, the. it was Donna, Donna and Amy, because they were like the three musketeers. They always worked together. You know, he was fun. He knew what he was doing. He was a great nurse. And I think that's why it took, and Amy kind of felt like at one point she did say, 
she felt like he had, you know, he was kind of um, quirky, I guess is the word they were all using to describe him, that maybe like he had been bullied in his past and she felt she needed to protect him. So when they first came to her with this, she didn't want to believe it. You know what I mean? And she was like, went into protection mode. Because even at the one point, that one, um, they had that one case. Um, where is it? I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, they had that one. Someone started, oh, she noticed someone was co- getting ready to go into DTAC. And so she called for a code blue. Do you remember that part mm-hmm. of it? And um, she, when she got in there, he was already. Charles was already in there and she said, she asked him point blank, like, what are you injecting with him with? And he said, lidocaine. And then when finally the resident came, they said, who, who, who gave this person lidocaine? And she said, I did. She covered for him and the patient was allergic to lidocaine. Right. So, and she covered for him at that point. And, but it wasn't until, it wasn't until the police brought her in that she st- and started questioning certain things. She was like, oh, shit, like, this happened, and I covered for him. Mm-hmm. So, like, she definitely was in, I think, denial or mama bear protection mode, whatever you want to call it. Right, but you I know. don't think she got in trouble for that either. No, I don't think she did either. So but how I mean- is it that you make a fatal mistake? And you don't get in trouble. And that's very simple because he probably has his allergies listed on a bracelet that you have to wear in hospital. I mean, you would think. And there's probably a a bigger sign somewhere with his allergy. Like, I don't understand how nobody got in trouble for that either. Right. I mean, it just kind of just really is. It's really disheartening, though, that you know, hospitals are supposed to be there to take care of people and be a safe space, you know what I mean, to where you can feel protected and that you're going to be taken care of. And the fact that they're more worried about, you know, what the public is going to think of them or losing money or being sued, it takes precedence over patient care and patient safety. Like, I guess when all that was coming down with St. Luke's, they were in the process of getting a new um, site built. And one of the things was, you know, for the loans or whatever, they had to go and make sure that there was no lawsuits pending. So they like basically wiped it under the rug to save their own asses so they could get this new site built and get the loan pushed through. Yeah, that. And then someone else got on there later on the show and denied that. that there was right, no that's what they said at the end, yeah, that they, which I, I call bullshit. I call cap on that. Yeah, like, and, you know. That they fully investigated it and found no evidence and the new building had nothing to do with it. Yeah, Okay. And I understand that, you know, nurses are human. They're going to make mistakes. But Everyone makes mistakes, yeah. Right. But to give somebody something that they are obviously allergic to, and there has to be alerts in that uh, medicine machine. I'm right. sure his bracelet said what he was allergic to. I'm sure it was somewhere on his bed or somewhere that he was allergic to it. So... For someone to make that mistake, that that I don't find excusable. 
Right. No, I totally agree. I mean, that's why they have the certain bracelets, you know, when you're allergic to something, like you said, like, it's just stuff like that doesn't happen. Yeah. And like, I wear a medical alert bracelet because I'm allergic mm-hmm. to sulfa and someone could give it to me in a med, in food, in anything. And, you know, I could die. Right. I mean, I know you're pretty good about asking when we go out, like, does this have this in it? You know what I mean? Just so so you're on the safe side. Yeah. So, like, I think someone should have been punished for that. Did that patient die? I I, I don't know. They they didn't say, they didn't say if they died. Yeah. Because I know, like, if I'm, if I get in contact with sulfa, I have an EpiPen that will reverse the effect. So I'm sure being in a hospital, they have plenty of epinephrine. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing, too. Like, thinking back, like you said, too, he wouldn't have even been able to give her lidocaine because that, I would, I would think, with that whole system, you have to put in a patient's name. Yeah. And I feel like that would have came up like it would have alerted. Yeah. So I, as a cross reference. Yeah, I was a little, you know, dumbfounded on that part of it. But I did like this one better because it was so much more informative. It had more facts. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just the movie was great, but you just. It's got to be a movie. Right. And I feel like sometimes when the, you know, it's a docuseries and you're getting more real life accounts, obviously, it's always going to be better than the movie because you're actually getting the real life accounts from the people who were actually involved and not a movie, which is someone's interpretation of the events. And now it makes me think, how good is that book? There's a book called The Good Nurse, A True Story oh. of Medicine, Madness, and Murder by yeah. Charles Graber. So I don't exactly. know. Is that his fake name? Like, oh, well, wait. Was he the guy that was talking at the in, it was like in a bar in this docuseries? I don't remember. I think because his name was Charles. Yeah, maybe that. Remember the guy that had like blondish hair, and he was like, every once in a while, he would pop in and say something, but it would look like he was like in a in a bar. bar. So yeah, yeah, I I think that was him. Yeah. So yeah, um, it does say that there are interviews with family members of the victims, journalist Mm -hmm. and author. Charles Graber and audio. Yeah, that was him. Himself. Yeah, so that yeah. must have been him. Yeah. But that makes me think, I wonder how good that book is. Yeah, I wonder, like, did he actually, has he, like, interviewed Cullen, like, himself kind of thing? And, like, I mean, it would be interesting to maybe read just to see. Yeah, like, I didn't buy those things last books that I swore I was going to read and didn't. <laughs> um, what was that? And what? I didn't remember the movie saying anything about him. Um, he had taken a plea deal to spare him the death penalty. Did you remember that from the movie movie? No. Yeah. He, t- he took a plea deal 
to um, spare him the death penalty to help with, I guess, further investigations or information into the deaths of all the people that he... Well, I think he also took the plea deal because... He says that he took the plea deal because of the family so that they didn't have to relive that. But I think uh, you have no common consideration for anybody. I think he Yeah, did. I thought it was... I mean, I kind of... Do, do, did you feel that he felt any kind of remorse for what he did? No, not at all. You don't? No. See, I kind of almost did a little bit, like when they were showing the actual footage of him in court and... um hearing the families, you know, and seeing the families telling, giving their impact statements or whatever, that he couldn't even look at them. Right. But he never picked his head up. So uh, there wasn't a tear. There was no No. apology out of his mouth. True. True. So how bad did you feel? Yeah. But I think he took the plea deal so that he didn't have to go word for word what happened. Well, I mean... For himself. He didn't do it for anyone else. Well, I mean... It it was just, I think, more to... Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe he didn't want the death penalty. I don't know. He didn't want to die the way he had others die with injection. Yeah, and don't, (laughs) don't get me started on that. Because, you know, I believe in an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Every one of those family men are members should have a syringe on his freaking arm or thigh or wherever and i'm so like i don't know i I, i'm i'm gonna show what a heartless person i am probably right now (laughs) but to me lethal injection is probably the most humane way to die and i feel like some of these people who get the lethal injection are getting off way too fucking easy. Yeah. Like There's to no me, like they that. should bring back like the firing squad the or stoning. Like, or like hangings or like the guillotine or something. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going I'm going back medieval here, okay? <laughs> I say the family members should be able to stone them. Something. Like I feel that they like especially if it's like a heinous crime or something like that like you getting a lethal injection that kind of like puts you to sleep and then stops your heart is way too humane for you like you do that to dogs because you love them like family you don't do that to people who kill people yeah you know what i'm saying like it's i hate it it pisses me off honestly what like you know bothers me is so many states no longer have the death penalty I know, because they think it's cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, but the crimes they didn't commit weren't cruel and unusual? Exactly. Like, that could be a whole other podcast, honestly. And not only but, that, like, <laughs> the taxpayers are stuck feeding and housing them forever? Just, that's the other thing. Like, come on. That's way too expensive. But they have to get their right to appeals and, and all this other shit. That they, you know what I mean? Okay, so I get that. You you have your right to appeal and blah, blah, blah. But when all your appeals are up, you're going out. Right. Maybe they should create, like, a special prison group that can, like, handle. Like, okay, so-and-so's got to die today. How about it, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Get it out of your system. (laughs) 
I don't know. Like, see, this is where, like, I just, it bothers me. It really it bothers does, me. because what did they say the average was of supporting an inmate per year? It was it's not a lot. Yeah. Because you figure they get three hots, a cot, they got free medical. Um, yeah. They're educating them in there. They're getting an online education. Yeah, like, was. no, no. That other person, does, you elected to take them out, and they don't get that chance. Neither do you, boo. Right. Sit in a cell and rot. You can have a piece of bread every three days. Like, that was the one part I think of, like, the Dahmer one that pissed me off is when, like, towards the end of it, like, John Wayne Gacy was getting executed around the same time, and he just, like, didn't have anything to say but fuck you to everybody. Like, really? Yeah. And he went out humanely for, like, all the shit that he did. Like, it doesn't fly with me. (laughs) Yeah, and if you're going to say something like that... I, I don't think you should get any last words. Right. You know, if you don't... You don't know what they're going to say, obviously. It's just... I don't know. So, I did look it up. It says mm-hmm. it costs an average of about $106,000 per year to incarcerate an inmate in prison. Right. Why? Exactly. I don't even make that much. That's what I was just going to say. Like, that's more than I fucking make a year. (laughs) Yeah, like, I don't even make that. Right. They're saying it's because of security and everything else. Well, because they're probably, what are they taking into, like, the guard salaries and shit like that? Well, it says uh, inmate health care, 26000 and then it says medical care, 16000 They probably get better medical than I fucking got. Go exactly. Ahead. They ain't got no co-pays or deductibles. <laughs> they get free dental eye. They right. got a damn barber. Like, come right. on. I d- yes, I do get it's inhumane to leave them in a 10 by 10 cell, whatever. But you got there for a reason. You're not there because it's Wednesday. Exactly. They got there because they, they don't inhumane. have... inhumane. Exactly. So why should they be, you know... I mean, a 10 by 10 cell is better than a fucking 4 by 4 cell. Yeah, or someone taking a 4 by 4 to you. Right, exactly. I, it's... I don't know. You lost your freedom when you do that. That's how I look at it. Exactly. And they're in there crying that they don't have this or that. And the person you killed doesn't either. Right. Neither does their family or whoever. On the other side of the fence, I do understand that very few people are falsely incarcerated. And I do understand that as well. And I feel like some, you know, definitely are falsely incarcerated or, um, sometimes get maybe a punishment that doesn't fit the crime just to set an example or you know targeting you know whatever the case may be i definitely feel that you know there might be people in there that don't belong in there but we're talking about ones that like i'm talking about ones that like we know have done the crime there's like hard evidence yeah that kind of thing yeah. Um, so this one says that the cost of an inmate in New Jersey is 
thousand dollars a year and that there's like 22,000 inmates and it says Delaware is 40,000 a year and there's only 7,000 inmates well you have to look at the size of the state too and I feel like New Jersey for being as a small a state as it is probably has the most fucking prisons (laughs) Like, honestly, like, probably look up how many prisons are in New Jersey versus how many prisons are in fucking Texas. And I guarantee you, New Jersey has more. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And speaking of Texas, how come there it only costs them 22000 a year for inmates? Because Texas ain't no joke and they don't give their, their inmates shit. Yeah, you getting water and bread, Because <laughs> they're close to Mexico, okay? You're not even <laughs> Ship getting... them over the border. You're not even getting jello. Let's see what state pays the most. Just we just case. went on a whole nother tirade. <laughs> just in case we have to go to jail, we want to pick what state. All right, we want to pick what state we're doing our crime in, okay? Uh, California, 64000 a year, and there's 132,000 inmates. Mm. Yo, Florida has 100,000 inmates, and 19,000 a year. Florida be looking so cheap pretty... in their state. I, I'm thinking they don't have all this other bullshit that these other ones do where they have gyms and pools and you can get your bachelor's We probably degree. have to look at too which states have a federal prison because that's like that's like a country club. Yeah, like I don't think it should be like that. I think New Jersey has a federal prison. I, yeah, I don't think it should be like that. I really don't. But anyway, back to Charles Cullen, now that we went on our, our rampage. Now that we went on our capital punishment tirade. <laughs> I'm all for it. Anyway. Yeah, so I, I don't know. And I get why they do plea deals because it saves court money and attorneys and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know that... I'm really all for that either. Well, I mean, he's still committing. He was still admitting his guilt in the crime. It's just a matter of him. He's not getting the death penalty now, but I'm spending the rest of his life in prison. I mean, he got 18 consecutive life sentences. Yeah, he'll never get out. Right. But like all these other ones, you know, where they take a plea deal to a much lesser charge. Bullshit. Yeah. I mean, like, again, it, it kind of, I guess, it, obviously, I've taken on a case-by-case basis, but, I mean, sometimes what they're trying, what the prosecutors are trying to, to let's say, pin on somebody or give them a sentence for just sometimes does not meet the crime. They try to go for the max when sometimes the max just isn't. Well, plus when they take a plea deal, they don't have to convince a jury that they're guilty. They don't have to have all the evidence or the body or whatever. Which I feel like is another reason why sometimes they do take a plea deal because they know if they were to go against a jury with, let's say, the evidence that a prosecutor has, there's going to be no way in hell that they're going to be found not guilty. So to avoid having that higher sentence, they plead to 
something lesser so they don't have to go before a jury of their peers. Yeah. I don't know. I still think this whole system needs to be reamped. I mean, that'll never happen, but yeah. Because, I mean, you know, some people will be on the other side of the fence saying that they're just too strict and blah, blah, blah. But I'm sitting on the other side of the fence and you see people get seven years for murder. Like, are you kidding me? Right. Like, them, like right here in Clayton, the ones that killed Autumn. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, how seven years justified as someone's death? So the girl was 17. So you she's only going to live to be 20 like how do you justify that i think and i know i've said this before it should be math okay the a normal person lives to be 95 you took them out at 60 so you have to serve 35 years you know what i mean i think it should be simple math i don't think it should be an opinion I don't think it should be a group consideration. I think it should be black and white. I mean, that's a good, it's a good theory. You, do you know what I mean? Because yeah, no, I know what you mean. Some people get like four but years, at, and in that aspect, though, too. I mean, I get what you're saying, but then let's say it was a young person who did the killing of an older person you're saying they should only get 35 years which means they'll be out at 50 yeah but if you look today these crimes aren't getting real friggin time true like i mean i don't know what you would do like if they were in on drug charges some people get more time for having drugs for themselves that they were only going to injure themselves than someone who murdered someone else. True. So I think it, I think it should all be math. I think it should all be math. Okay. You got caught with drugs. Your first offense, that's a year. You got caught with drugs. Your second offense, that's five years. Like it should be black and white throughout the 50 states. Mm-hmm. Because people get too hung up on things and they get their feelings involved and, you know, shit like that. And some, it's not fair. It's just not fair. Some people can get seven years for murder. Some people can get 90. Like, right. I think it should be all black and white. I don't think there should be any gray. Probably right. And, you know, and then you wouldn't have to do all that sentencing bullshit. You would know when the jury comes out and says he's guilty. Well, you, you know you got 45 years. Right. I don't know. That's just my opinions, and that's probably why I'm not involved in a law. <laughs> so, I mean... Again, the only good thing that came out of this is that they were able to change the laws. You can now, when someone calls for a job reference, you can now say that, you know, well, they were written up for calling out, you know, they were investigated for this. You can now say things without the fear of being sued. Right. But like the attorney that I used to work for, what he told me is... If you can prove it, you can say it. 
So if there's a write-up in the file, you can say it. You have proof. (laughs) So I I don't know if it's applicable to that, but when I was asking about doing the podcast, what can and can't you say? That's what he said. If you can prove it, you can say it. You can't. You can't be held liable for slander if it's a fact. If you can prove it. Yes. So on that note, just wanted to say this is our opinions of this (laughs) crime. (laughs) And of capital punishment. (laughs) Yes. And of reamping the whole law system. Right. (laughs) But... I mean, that's what makes it a podcast because it, there's different opinions on everything. And that's why I like to do these because, you know, I'm the kind of person everyone can have their own opinion. I'm good with that. I can still be friends with you tomorrow. But I think that hearing someone else's view on it may or may not influence your opinion. I mean, not that I'm trying to get everyone over here thinking like I do, because that's not always a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) We know this. (laughs) Anyone who knows you knows that. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. Do you think there's going to be another one? I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. I I I don't think there'll be any more information that they could provide. Yeah, so I don't know what we're doing next week. Did we decide? No, I don't think we decided. There was talk about doing that family friend thing, but I haven't watched the family friend thing. It's like eight episodes. There was another one I watched the other day, too. But there's also one I'll message you about that happened. Um, The girl was just sentenced today in uh, Sicklerville for murdering her child. Because I would... I would like to get back to the local ones, but yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I I liked when we went on site and did them just because uh-huh. it was fun. Well, it's a little too cold for that right now. Yeah, so I was thinking <laughs> that, you know, in the, the spring and summer, but yeah. I would like to look into that one because that that intrigued me. There was something I'll have to go back and look and I'll message you on Netflix that looked pretty. I was like, oh, that would be a good one. I forget what it was, though. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we still have that other one that was requested that we do. But, Mm -hmm. like, I've really looked into it and I'm not finding much information. But there is a Facebook page. So, I'm going to reach out and see... You know, whoever is running the Facebook page, if they would like to come on the podcast and help, you know, help Mm -hmm. us and to educate us on this case, because, you know, we're not able to get enough information to even form an opinion. Okay. Um, So I'll reach out to them on that. And I also reached out on the Autumn Pasquale page. Well, you said you were going to do that. Um, and I did get a response that they were going to ask the father, Anthony, if he wanted to partake in it, but then I never, 
I never heard anything and I dropped the ball. I didn't, you know, go back. Well, we have life going on, so. Yeah, <laughs> and revisited. But now that I got all the time in the world, <laughs> I can revisit things. Yay. So. All right. I'm just a sidekick. <laughs> You're the go-getter. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what fun and fascinating things we can come up with and we you, might not do one next because it is thanksgiving so i'm gonna be a little crazy probably at my house is that next week yeah boo uh, <laughs> that's when my kids are home <laughs> yeah well you know sometimes we could just like even i don't know i'll talk to you later about that yeah. but uh, like we, st I still have Robin's Nest that's out there, and I'm not oh, having yeah. many participants with that. So I was thinking about changing the subject matter on that. Okay, well, let me so, know. Yeah, we I'll, can talk about it off, off pad. Yeah. So I just wanted to remind you that uh, you can find us on the socials at Robin and Stephanie's Crimeaholics Podcast. If there's something you wanted us to. Uh, do a podcast on or if you wanted to leave any comments questions um, you know any way that you know we could do better or what whatever if you wanted to contact us you can find us on Instagram and Facebook so with that I guess we'll end this podcast okay peace out well you have fun on your little trip that you're on. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for letting everybody know. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and we'll catch you next week on the podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>